around the world. The Spirit is moving and a voice is being heard. Welcome to The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford. You can write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502, Kayser, North Carolina, 28020. We'll give you that address again at the close of today's broadcast. But here now is David Langford. Hello, friends. Pastor David Langford here again today. We'd like to welcome you to The Voice of Evangelism International Ministries that is literally heard around the world. We welcome you this Tuesday, March the 2nd, and we trust and we pray that the Holy Spirit of God has already graced your life and your presence today, having strengthened you, encouraged you, empowered you, lifted you up above the shadows that Satan wills in many of our hearts and our lives. But God takes us out of the shadows and he puts us in the light of his word. And for that, we are tremendously, tremendously hopeful. Um, or thankful, I should say, not hopeful. We have hope, but we are much, much thankful for the Lord. Before we get into the message today, I want to share another letter that I received. And uh, we, we shared one yesterday from Sister Ruby. And we're going to share one today from a lady named Madonna. Uh, and we are very grateful and thankful uh, for the letters that we receive, the emails. But many times they encourage the listener. They strengthen the listener because many times people are going through the exact same situation or circumstances, but the similarities are profound in likeness. And so we do that to maybe encourage you. But she says, I have to share with you that as a Catholic, former now that I would pray to Mary, Jesus' mother, as we are taught in church. Now think about that. She would pray to Mary, Jesus' mother, as they are taught in the Catholic Church. Back in 2011, our family went through a family crisis. It involved two of my children. The youngest child, our daughter, Nicole, developed such a hatred for her brother and myself because her brother spoke up and told her that she needed to, to be disciplined, her, own, her oldest son, discipline her oldest son. Her hatred went beyond normal. For years, she could not get over this. To be honest, neither could my son towards her, his sister. For years, I prayed to the Virgin Mary to ask for her intervention to her son, Jesus, and then he would take this request to the Father. Can you believe that I was so stupid? Well, Madonna, don't think you're stupid. You were indoctrinated. You were taught that. And that's why the Lord is helping me to understand the power of indoctrination. Some of you listening today, some of you listening today, you have been indoctrinated with things that are just not factual. They are not scriptural. Neither are they accurate. They are, for the most part, a fallacy, a mendacity. They are simply not the truth. But because we admire, respect ministers or ministries or a church or whatever the case might be, we believe what they tell us. And just like Martin Luther 
realized he was justified by faith, he left the Catholic Church. Here, Madonna is praying to Mary. And then she uh, demeans herself. Uh, can you believe I was so stupid? It's not being stupid. It's, it's the fact of being indoctrinated regarding error. I, find, I finally started questioning the doctrines man-made and not based on Scripture of the church. Wow, was I completely shocked when I finally sat down and read the Bible in 2017. As you can imagine, much to my surprise, there is absolutely nothing in the Bible which instructs us to pray to Mary. I have to tell you this was a surprise. I then knelt down and asked our Heavenly Father for His help and to send a spirit of forgiveness for my entire family. May I share with you that for the first time in years, our daughter, Nikki, actually was smiling throughout the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas. She is actually speaking to me again with respect. Now, mind you, she has been living with us because she couldn't afford a job or hold a job and had two sons. They had no place to go, so my husband and I felt that we could not punish our grandsons and let them suffer because of mom's bad behavior. Anyway, to make a long story short, God answered my prayers. She helped around the house cleaning and cooking. During Christmas, Michael, my husband, said that it looks like your prayers are answered or were answered. I can't tell you uh, the sense of joy our family experienced during the holidays. God is so good. And she leaves Psalms 106.1. Praise ye the Lord. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. And she goes on to say, just to let you know, I did leave the Catholic Church in September of 2017. I finally realized they were purveyors of lies and false doctrine. Thank you, Pastor Langford, for speaking truth and sharing the Bible, which is based in Scripture, the Word of God. I enjoy your discussion on the harm of false prophecies and uh, dearest regard. So many of us, Many of us, and I'm including myself, were indoctrinated with things that were just not right. One of them being the pre-tribulation rapture. Another is Madonna <clears throat> praying to Mary that uh, she would go to Jesus and Jesus would then take her petition to the Father, get those favors. And uh, this is what is sad, and this is why it is so great and we're so blessed that God is the judge. Now, when the Spirit begins to show you something is wrong, then you need to be led by the Holy Ghost and walk into the paths of righteousness that will break those chains and those shackles and those fetters and that indoctrination. I'm telling you, indoctrination is powerful. It will cause you to believe things that are just not true whatsoever, but because they say or they said. But you know, when you get hungry for God, Deuteronomy 4, 29, when you seek me with all of your heart, he said, you'll find me. God's not playing hide and go seek. He's always where he has been. It's just we don't have the hunger and the thirst to go into his presence. Few people 
genuinely know what it means to be in the presence of God. I said few people really know and understand what it means to be in the presence of God. He is real. He is genuine. He can be felt. We can feel his expression of love and forgiveness and redemption back to us if we get in his presence. Psalms 16, verse 11, David said, In thy presence is fullness of joy. Uh, Psalms 55, 11, Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David understood. I said David understood the magnitude of the presence of God in his life. Do you understand the magnitude and the gravity of God's presence in your life? If not, you need to come to that understanding. You need to understand, you need to know that there is power, there is strength, encouragement in the Lord, in his presence, in his presence. I think I said 5511, it's Psalms 5111. Luke 517 says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. We must get in his presence, amen. We have started this new series, Preparing for the Darkness. I don't want to be doom and gloom. I want to encourage you. I reckon I preached a little bit yesterday against sin, but it's needful in this time that we're living in. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 35, then said Jesus unto them, yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While ye have light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of the light. Believe in the light. I, I love those two verses here in John 12, 35 and 36. Now, God, in his sovereignty, has the power to use spiritual darkness or a literal physical darkness to blind and to bind the enemy. Let me say that again. God has the power Jehovah Elohim, to use spiritual or physical darkness to blind as well as bind the enemy because he is God. Remember, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. Genesis 1, 1 through 4. Let there be light. God separated now the light from the darkness. He called the light day, the darkness he called night. I shared that in the beginning. God separates us from darkness. 
I said God separates us from darkness. He does that both spiritually. He does that physically. When you live in sin, you live physically in darkness because you may fornicate, you may commit adultery, you may get drunk, you, you, you may do drugs, you may watch pornography, but physically you are in darkness. You say, well, I don't, I don't see that. The lifestyle is that that is darkened. Now, you're also in darkness spiritually. You're, you're, you, you don't see the need, but when the light of the Holy Spirit conviction comes, that conviction then makes you sober and aware of the dark lifestyle that you are living and you must repent. You must get right with God. Now we see that God did things in spiritual darkness and in physical darkness in both ways. Exodus chapter 14, verses 19 and 20. And the angel of God which went before the camp of Israel, removed or turned and went behind them. And the pillar of the cloud went from before their faces and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, meaning the Egyptians, but it gave light by night to these, the Israelites, so that the one came not near the other all the night. Now God takes a divine cloud. I say divine because he's touching that cloud. When something is supernatural, God, that means God is taking that which is natural, a cloud, a wind, or whatever, and he touches it. Now it becomes supernatural. And so he took this cloud, same cloud, but on the one side, it was emanating, it was projecting light, and all Israel could see. To the Egyptians... It was a cloud and darkness to them. Here's the miracle. You never hear it talked about. You never hear it spoken of. So that the one came not near the other all the night. Now, no one probably knows how far apart Israel was from Egypt in the camp out in the wilderness with this particular cloud. I've read some guys said it was only a couple hundred yards. They were that close. Egypt was that close to Israel. But they didn't know it. Why? They were in great darkness. Israel was in great light. Same cloud, but 50% per se is projecting a powerful, luminous light. The other side, it's projecting darkness, great darkness. The darkness was so great that the one came not near the other all the night. They, 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 they couldn't get close, 
right there because that cloud, which was a divine cloud, it was, a, it was the hand of God. It was mighty. This spirit-filled cloud was a lot like the cross. Did you know that? There were two sides to this cloud. There are two sides to the cross. Those who embrace the redemptive side and become born again through the vicarious and efficacious work of Christ that he accomplished on the cross, meaning if you're living according to the way of the cross, you are walking in his light. I said you are walking in the light. So the cross symbolically has two sides, a light side and a dark side. The other side, the dark side concerns those who spurn, those who reject the cross. Those who reject the cross will have sealed their doom in the day of God's judgment because they continue to walk in the darkness. Look at it like this. A cross is projected, and there's a great light shining on the cross. You get behind the cross, you're in darkness. Walk out in front of the cross and the light hits you just like that. You're in the light. Others will spurn the light. They will reject the light. They will refuse the light. They will, they will castigate the light. Why? Because they want to remain in darkness. True Believers of God do not want to live a life of darkness. They don't want that. John 3 and 20, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved, or his uh, deeds should be discovered, manifest. So they, they stay behind the cross in the shadow of darkness. But if you walk out from behind the cross, stand in front of the cross, the light of Christ will shine. That's why Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You, you got to get in the light. 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. You cannot fellowship with God in darkness. You have to get in the light because God is not going to dwell in darkness. There is no darkness in him. Wherever he goes, it suddenly becomes light. The light shineth in the darkness. John 1, 5, but the darkness comprehended it not. Light exposes everything. Light exposes every aberration. Get up in the morning, put a bright light on your face, and you say, oh, age is taking its toil on my face, on my appearance. But what makes it so evident is the light. When a surgeon gets ready to make do an operation, 
great light. A dentist, great light. They want the light. Show me the light. A good mechanic wants good light to look at the car, the engine, the transmission, whatever the case might be. Light. Light lets us see. Satan never wants you to see. He wants you to remain in utter, total, complete darkness. So if you, if you stand in the front of the cross, you get the light. You hide behind the cross in the context of not walking out into the light. You live in darkness. You see, the cross strips anyone, everyone, of their unholy cloak or their excuse that they may use. It's all because Christ paid Christ paid their debt for sin on the cross. Christ atones for our sins. You don't have any claim on God. You don't even have any right to God. You don't have a stake on God, drive your stake up, say, I own this much God. And because of that, no man has an excuse. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees. He said, you no longer have a cloak or a covering for your sins. I, I see it all. I see through your cloak, or really it means an excuse. I see through it. It is the blood of Christ that removes, eradicates sin. Leviticus 17, 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your soul, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. I want to repeat that last phrase, for it is the blood that maketh atonement for the soul. That tells me nothing, nothing, nothing in this world can atone for my soul and my sins and redeem my soul from judgment. Nothing. Now, you'll have those who will tell you this or tell you that, but it's not factual. It is absolutely not true. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to atone for sin. Nothing else washes away. Nothing else removes. Nothing else takes away sin. Only the blood of Jesus Christ, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Revelation 1, 5, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Washed, cleansed. One Greek translation says he launders the soul, the garment, the wedding garment, makes it clean. What does that? Nothing but the blood. If anyone believes, thinks, perceives, or have been falsely indoctrinated that something else atones for your sin, you're deceived. You say, that's harsh, that's cruel, that's mean. I'm not trying to be harsh, cruel, or mean. I'm trying to tell you, you have been indoctrinated just like the dear sister who's praying to Mary. Stable mind. Not a, not a kook, not crazy, not in left field, just as sound as any other human being. But being indoctrinated with that false doctrine, people believe you got to talk to Mary. There are people that believe 
similar and you have to do this. You have to do that. If you didn't do this, then you're still not saved. See, that's religion. That's religion. Putting, that's, that's why Paul, I, I shared with you yesterday, Galatians 1, 13, 14, he said, I, 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 I was greatly zealous of the Jews' religion. Jews' religion. He didn't talk about the covenant with Abraham. He talked about Jewish religion. See, he understood this is religion. I did this, I did that, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. See, that's religion. Jesus paid the price. Jesus redeemed us with his shed blood. If anything else has anything to do with your salvation, I decree the work on the cross was worthless. But I know better. It's not worthless. That is what paid sin's debt was the shedding of the blood of the Lamb. Why do you think in John 1, 29, when John the Baptist sees Jesus coming afar off, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Every sacrificial offering, every, every animal that was slain, everyone that was slain was only a covering. It was just whitewashing it, you might say. But when John saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin. Now our sins are not whitewashed. They are removed by the blood of the Lamb. Nothing else. Well, I disagree with you. I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. Well, I'm a Lutheran. Well, I'm a Church of God. Well, I'm a UPC. Well, I'm Assemblies of God. I don't care what you are. Denominations divide the body of Christ. It has to be nauseating in God's heart, stomach, and mind to see the utter division. Well, I can't fellowship with you because you're not a church of God. I can't fellowship with you because you're not a Presbyterian. How many churches are there? One body, one Lord, one Savior of us all. Paul said, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One, 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 not five, not ten. But this is, this is where we are today. One. And you, you can't get people to see that. There's not going to be cubicles in heaven or particular streets or corners where there's one denomination, then down the road there's another denomination, down the road there's yet a, another one. That, that's just not that's just not true. That, that's just that's just that's error, that's erroneous. But this is what they've done to us. Ephesians 4, 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. Now that really messed you up right there, especially the baptism part. Water baptism, baptism in the Holy Ghost. What what's he, what, what what baptism is he talking about here? He's talking about baptism in 
the body of Christ. Not water baptism, not Holy Ghost baptism, but it's in the body of Christ. How do I know? The verse before it. Ephesians 4, 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there is one body, one Spirit, even as you are called into one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, being baptized into the one body, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm a Methodist. Well, I'm a Presbyterian. Well, I'm a Baptist. Well, I'm Church of God. I'm Pentecostal holiness. I'm United Pentecostal. There's no such thing as multiple bodies. It'd be a freak. It'd be a sideshow. Don't let nobody tell you. That's, that's the work of darkness. Don't let anyone tell you, you have to be a member of our church, our denomination to go to heaven. That's a lie straight out of hell. That's a pure, unadulterated lie. You have to be in Jesus. Praise God. You have to be in Jesus, the Lord's Christ, to be saved. Thus Paul says, one Lord one God, one faith, one baptism, and God our Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. He now lives in us and we live in him. We read the book of John. I'm in the Father, the Father's in me. I'm in you and you in me. He prayed that we might be one, even as he and the Father were one. Now, having said all of that, You cannot be unequally yoked. Well, what I mean by that, you cannot associate, be intertwined, interwoven with false doctrine and false teachings. I love everybody. Some people are first-grade Christian. Some people are fifth-grade Christians. Some have grown till they have master or PhDs in Christianity. But we're all at different levels. But there's still only one body. There's just one body of David Lankford, but I have many members. I have many members, eyes, ears, nose, digits, fingers, toes, organs inside, lungs, kidneys, gallbladder, pancreas, liver, stomach, heart. But all this works in synchronicity. If you're well in your body, it all works like it's supposed to. That's a poor example, but that's how the church, the body of Christ, should function. Paul says, can the eye say to the ears, I have no need of you? He said, if that's the case, then where is the hearing? If the eyes say to nose, I have no need of you, where then is the smelling? You see, it all works. Thus, the church, the body of Christ, is related to a body. It's amazing, I have two hands. They are exactly opposite, though, for a reason. We've let denominationalism shroud us in darkness. Again, the cloud. If you're on this side of the cloud, it's all light. You're on this side of the cloud, it's all darkness. Which side of the cloud are you on today? 
Think about how close the Egyptians were to Israel, but also the light. Think how close they were. Yet they died hours later because their foolish and hardened hearts caused them to follow Israel into the Red Sea. So they went in, why? Because it was not physical darkness, it was spiritual darkness. They could see. There had to be one sight to behold. These, these two walls of water just standing there. Billions and billions, if not trillions of gallons of water just, just standing there like a wall. And the seabed is dry like a roadbed. Dry. I don't believe it was a bit muddy. I don't believe they got one bit of mud on their sandals. I don't believe that. He kept their sandals. He kept their garments. Forty years. Forty years, he said, and I never suffered your feet to even swell. Think about that. I never let your feet swell, he said. Why? He loved them. He kept them. He preserved them. In all of this, God did all this. Nobody but God can do things of that nature, but he did that because he loved them. He knew there was no Walmarts out in the wilderness. So there was no uh, people to need, need to fix or repair shoes, sandals, I should say. There was no need for that. No need for that. Why? God didn't let those things wear out. He kept them because he's the God of all flesh. And he had the power to preserve even their garment, their clothing, their sandals. And all those years of walking in the wilderness, it says not one of them did their feet ever swell. This is the peril, the danger of being on the wrong side of the cross. This is why I said this cloud was a type of Christ and that it was very illuminated on the one side, darkness on the other side. And the Egyptians were that close to God, but they still died and went out into eternity lost without God. They were utterly, completely, totally lost. The presence of God will both humble us and redeem us. It will either do that or it will harden our hearts and we will be eternally damned without God. This is the reality. Now, you're not going to hear this preached, saying the word eternally damned, the phrase eternally damned. You're not going to hear that in the modern pulpit today. You're not going to hear there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. You're not going to hear that. You're never going to hear the word hell mentioned, never. Why? We don't want to frighten the people. We don't want them to believe that way. Friend, Jesus told us, the 16th 
15th chapter of Luke about the rich man who died and went to hell. Why, why, why would Jesus bother to tell us that? Because it is a reality. I said it is a reality. Yet, people don't want to believe that. Well, there's, there's no such place as hell. And you ever noticed everybody nowadays that dies, they all go to heaven. James Brown died Christmas Day. It was said that God wanted to have a birthday party for his son, Jesus, and he called James Brown to go up there and to put on a show for his son, Jesus. Some of the most asinine, crazy stuff ever heard, ever seen. But in Luke 16, Jesus tells us about a rich man who died and went to hell. And while he was in hell, he was tormented. He was tormented profusely, insomuch that he said, Oh, if you would just send Lazarus, that he may dip his finger in water and just cool my tongue, for I am tormented. I am tormented in this flame. You don't think hell has fire? Well, it does. I've taught this before. We say every faculty in Luke 16, the rich man in hell, he has every faculty but is smelling. We don't, there's no indication he could see, he could hear, he could taste, he could touch. But it says nothing about his smell. But he had every sense but the one. The scriptures make that clear. That was the reality of hell. That was the reality of hell hell. He said to the rich man, Lazarus now is comforted. You're tormented. Before death, Lazarus was tormented. You were comforted. You fared sumptuously. You had great fine linen. Everything about your life was just unbelievable. Lazarus Poor, broken, destitute, body was covered in sores, and the dogs came and licked his sores. You going to hear any TV preacher preach about that today? Lazarus and the rich man, the dog licking his sores. I wonder if Joy Osteen or Joyce Myers would talk about a dog licking a man's sores. And the one man dies and goes to Abraham's bosom. The other man dies, and he goes to hell. He's tormented in hell. And the torment is so great, he just wants a drop of water on his tongue. But God said, there's a great gulf. That word gulf in the Greek, there's a great abyss. A great abyss, Mr. Rich Man. And you want to come over here and you can't. And those that would come to you, they cannot. Once you're in, friend, you're in. You can't get out. Once you die, Whatever you die as, a sinner, you can't get out of being a sinner. You die a saint of God, you can't get out of being a saint of God. Why would you? <clears throat> Excuse me. The rich man wanted out. <clears throat> Lazarus didn't desire to get out. Previously in his life, tormented. Now he's profusely comforted. Rich man, previous life, he's, he's faring great sumptuously, and he's, he's comforted. Now he's tormented. And if you don't believe it was real, he had five brothers. 
five brothers. He said, I have five brothers. Send Lazarus to my brothers, lest they also come into this place of torment. That man now had such love for his brothers, and as I shared the lady's letter, there can be domestic squabbling and fighting among siblings and family, etc., etc. But in hell, he was so tormented, he was having compassion on his brothers that they would not come to this place. But God said, Nay. They will not hear Moses and the prophets. Neither will they be persuaded, though one be raised from the dead. That is a frightening thought to think if God were to raise somebody from the dead, they come to you, they pled with you, they implored you, they besought you. Live for Jesus. Don't live in sin and come to this place. God says, they don't believe Moses and the preachers. They're not going to believe one, though he be raised from the dead. This light that I'm speaking of versus the darkness, light will be like the sun, S-U-N. The sunlight will take a ball of clay and make it as hard as a brick, hard as a rock, but that same sun can also melt a ball of wax till it becomes liquefied. So you will either melt like wax in the light or you will become hardened like a brick, like clay, stone. Because you can't stay the same. I said you cannot stay the same in the light. You go one way or the other. What do most men do? They stay in the dark. It's what Jesus said in John 3, 20. They don't want to come to the light. Why? Lest their deeds should be reproved. Lest they should come to the light, the knowledge of Christ, and repent. Everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Think about that. They hate the light. They hate the light of Jesus Christ. They hate it. They loathe it. They despise it. And they neither come to the light, he said, lest their deeds should be reproved. You see, you got all these people in Washington, all of a sudden they're all going to church and things like that but they're not going into a church that has light because their evil deeds would be reproved and they'd say, well, I can't sign this executive order. We can't pass this legislation. We can't uh, fund Planned Parenthood and we can't uh, uh, override the Hyde Amendment and send taxpayer dollars around the world to kill babies. We just, we can't do these things, folks. We can't do these things. But because they are not in the light, they go on and they do it without any conviction whatsoever. 
Now, here's the uniqueness of Christianity. We're talking about preparing for the darkness, what's coming, what the ominous things that are down the road. You know, in my prayer life, last two, three weeks easily, the Lord's just kind of been quiet. Just, just, so I don't seem like there's a whole lot going on, but I know better. There's, there's a lot going on that we can't see, that we don't know, that we do not hear or even understand. But God is working. I wouldn't be surprised if we had a, another 9-11, but about 10 times worse. Because we continue to do evil. And because judgment, Ecclesiastes 8.20, because judgment against an evil do, deed is not speedily executed, he said that they, they tend to go on and just keep doing more evil because they say, well, there's no repercussions. There's, there's no repercussions. I can live like this and get by but as children of God in this dark world, he lightens our path with the light of his word. Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It is God's word that illuminates my path. Job 29, verse 3, when his candle shined upon my head and when by his light I walked through the darkness. I walked through it. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. When his candle, talking about Elohim, when his candle shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, I was able to walk through it. Are you listening to me? We must walk by the light of God. The word candle here in the Hebrew simply means the lamp of Jehovah. When his lamp shined upon my head, and when by his light I walked through darkness, I walked through it, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Job and David both said we're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of darkness. We're going to get through this because his light, his lamp shines upon my head. Thus I'm able to walk through the darkness. But you got to be in Jesus, folks. You have to be in Christ. Again, Psalms 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. The lamp, the lantern of God is to lighten the path of our feet, not merely a light for our eyesight, but for our feet to walk correctly. So you got to walk the walk. 
You could see with your eyes, but then you still mess up and step in a pothole because you're looking too far down the road. But if that that path is illuminated, you say, whoa, 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 there's a, there's a pothole. I'm going to miss that. Then I'm going to go on. Psalms 27, verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? The days of fear and frightfulness are coming. But the psalmist said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. That word salvation, most of the time in the Hebrew, means the Lord is my deliverance. He will deliver me. That's what the word salvation means. It means to be delivered. We're going to go into some ugly stuff. I don't mean to be pessimistic here. I don't mean to be an alarmist or a fear monger or trying to stir you in a negative way, but I'm telling you, you've got to get in the light of Jesus Christ. You've got to keep your face buried in the Word of God. You've you, you got to want a desire to be in His presence. You don't feel like praying, but you go pray anyway. You don't feel like fasting, but you fast anyway. You don't feel like reading your Bible, but you read the Bible anyway. You keep going with God. You keep pursuing God. You don't turn left. You don't turn right, but you walk the straight. It is a straight. It is a very, very narrow path, and few there be that find it. But because of the light of Jesus Christ— we can find the narrow way, and we can walk in it. We can walk in it. We can walk in it. Light. Isn't it amazing what just a little night light will do in a room, a hallway or a bathroom or something? Just a little light. Just a little light. It's not a lot of light. It's just a little light. But Jesus is my light and my salvation or my deliverance. Whom shall I fear? You see, darkness, there's something about darkness that tries to invoke fear. Fear. It's dark. It's dark. I don't want to go out there. I don't want to go in there. I don't want to go downstairs. I don't want to go out there in the yard. It's dark. See, that's physical darkness. But spiritual darkness is the greatest darkness of all that men just cannot see through the veneer. They cannot see uh, uh, through that 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 shield that the enemy has put up. He, he wants you to stay in the darkness. And after you live in the darkness for so long, you get used to it. Did you hear me? I remember going into a restaurant. This has been 30 years ago. Me and four or five preachers, we were at camp meeting. We took a break to go to lunch. and We went into this restaurant. Man, it was so dark. I mean, it was dark, you know, and I'm 35 years old. It ain't like my eyes are bad then. 
you go in there and you, you just walk slow and you try to find your way around and you sit down and they bring a menu. And after a few minutes, you know, your eyes acclimate and you can now read the menu. You you can see each other. You, you know who they are. You're not, <laughs> it's not a, a, you know, total darkness, but it's dark. But here's what I learned in that setting. I got used to the darkness. Because I remember after dinner, we walked out in the parking lot, and man, it was a bright, sunny day. Now my eyes almost hurt. The pupils had to shrink up real quick to quit letting so much light in. It's hurting me now. And in the darkness, the pupils have to really dilate, trying to get all the light you can get, man. It's dark. And then the thought occurred to me. I got used to the darkness. But when I walked out in the light, it was piercing. It was penetrating. It was overwhelming. This is the very thing that's happened to people in Christianity. They have gotten used to the darkness. And then when somebody preaches an old-fashioned Holy Ghost message, that light nearly blinds them. Isn't it amazing how Paul is going down the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, and suddenly a bright light appears, and it's, it's this daylight. It's the noonday time. It's no darkness. But that light was so bright, it was blinding Paul because it was a supernatural light. It was a supernatural encounter with God, something he had never seen, something he had never witnessed, something he had never beheld. And it was off the charts. And it physically blinded him. The other men, they heard the voice, they saw the light, but they were not blinded. Paul was blinded for three days. How would you like to go outside and suddenly you're blinded and now you've had your vision all your life and now you're, you're blind for three days. You'll do whatever God wants you to do. See how quick Paul was willing to conform to God, his plan, his will, because of the greatness of the light. He was so overcome by the light, he says, Lord, what will thou have me to do. Well, wait a minute. This is this is a great religious figure. Surely this man knows God. It's, it, it's 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 a, he's a he's a Pharisee. Read his read his pedigree in Philippians chapter three. As touch, he was a he was of the tribe of Benjamin. As touching the law, he was a Pharisee. Circumcised the eighth day. Man, he had the pedigree. But see, when God's light came on him, it's so powerful, so dynamic. Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And God gave him the instructions, told him what to do. He has to go to Ananias. Ananias was somewhat afraid. He said, I've heard of this man. <laughs> How much evil he hath done to the saints of God in Jerusalem. You want me to let him come into my house? 
and me lay hands on him and pray for him. But nevertheless, Ananias obeyed God. But here's the great dynamic. He says to Ananias, for I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. You're going to suffer when you walk in the light. I said, you're going to suffer when you walk in the light. The light, regrettably, brings suffering. Your deeds are exposed. Your criminality is exposed. This is why we want to see an exposure in Washington. All of us wanted to see people go to jail. People prophesied. They saw people in orange jumpsuits in courtrooms, and they were being arrested. They were going to jail. I pray to God it still happens. Believe you me, I still pray that it happens. But 2 Timothy 3.13 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Some will never be put away because they're going to continue to deceive until they pass away. Stay in the light. Stay in the light. Don't let nobody talk you out of walking away from the light. Stay in the light. I said stay in the light because in the light is where you find Jesus. He's not in darkness. No, he's not in darkness whatsoever. I pray you have a very blessed week. I pray that God will strengthen your hand in the coming days. I encourage you to spend more time in the Bible. Less time on the internet reading stuff that is simply not true. Just a plethora of conspiracies. They will continue that way until Christ returns. I'll see you Monday. The Voice of Evangelism with David Langford is brought to you by the faithful listeners and supporters throughout America. If you're looking for an uncompromising message, we invite you to tune in each week to The Voice of Evangelism. For more information, write to The Voice of Evangelism at P.O. Box 502 Kaiser, North Carolina, 28020. That's P.O. Box 502, Kaiser, North Carolina, 28020.